Something is about to happen that has not happened for an age. The brothers are going to podcast. It is likely they'll podcast to their doom. But hopefully it's not the last podcast of the brothers. Sounds like a premeditated intro. Premeditated. I actually listened to a uh, podcast on how the Apostle Paul was a psychopath. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Anyway. So it was premeditated. I thought about it once or twice, perhaps. All right, all right. Yeah, perhaps. I like it, though. It was good. Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of the Fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to, and it does feel like it's been... Two and a half thousand years since our last podcast, um, but we are back and we are excited to talk about some more Tolkien, some more Children of Hurin. Uh, but before that, like always, I'm going to check in with my brother, uh, Seth Moldenhauer. How's it going? How you doing? What's up? Wow. Uh, it's been a while. We got to see if we remember how to do this. Um, <laughs> I know mom and dad visited you, what, three weeks ago? And then yep. the next week we went out and <laughs> visited in Denver and then... Last week, I think I was working right when we got back from uh, mm. from Denver. So it's what, close to a month now or three weeks, something like that. Uh, it's been a while. Yeah, so. probably over a month. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. So, I mean, we're doing good. We like I said, we got to go visit mom and dad and everybody else in Denver. It was a great time. Evelyn got to meet all her cousins and aunts and uncles that she aside from you guys. Um, yeah. Everybody that she hadn't met yet, aside from you and Ariel, she has now met. So um, it was really special. It's, you know, every every day on a day-to-day basis, we're thrilled and happy to be up here. And we love our house. We love our community. And we love our city and jobs. And, like, our life up here is fantastic. But when you go home and you see, you know, Evelyn playing with, uh, like, my sister-in-law, Amanda's sister, has two children you see her then they're young you know they're what yeah. is she, three and uh like three and seven months and then a uh, seven months so um you see them interacting and then you see them interacting with ember and killian who are young as yeah. well and it's like it, your heart just kind of hurts like wow she's not gonna this isn't gonna be a regular occurrence for her you know like you can mm-hmm. see the friendship and the love that could be there but absolutely you know, 1800 miles away um so i mean we're still very thankful with our decision to move and everything and we had a great trip but it was you know it's always kind of hard to be like dang well back to not having you know anybody around us yeah so no i completely understand that absolutely well and i think you'll i don't know i understand it understood it going into it but then once you have your once once Baron arrives and then once he gets a chance to meet everybody and you see that and then you have to take it away, it's kind of yeah. it sucks. But at the same time, I know that we can provide a better life for her up here than we could in Denver. So true. Yeah, very, very true. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of what we focus on. But yeah, it was it was a great trip. It was interesting flying on an airplane with a nine month old and she do OK. She did well, um, she, for the most part. She had a little bit of, I think her ears were popping, and 
it was kind of hard for her uh, a couple of different times. At one point on the on the land back into Detroit, her I don't know what the pilot was doing, but I think he was like circling the airport to lower his altitude and find the right oh. run, like wait for the right w- runway to open up or something. But he kept hitting turbulence whenever he would turn, and the plane would like drop. And it was, oh, it was pretty sketchy. I mean, it, Amanda's eyes were, you know, <laughs> like a cartoon where they're massive. But yeah. I was holding Ev because she's young enough that you can hold her. And this kid's te- nine and a half months old at this point, doesn't understand what an airplane is, but she knows that she's scared. And so I'm holding her and loving on her and giving, you know, talking, reassuring her. Mm-hmm. And, and she, every time we'd hit that turbulence and drop, she'd kind of like, grab grab my shoulder with her hands and bury her face into my shoulder and then she popped back up as soon as it was done and it was like i'm sorry you're scared but this is a cool moment for me as your dad like (laughs) i'm like i'm the one that's encouraging you and protecting you and helping you feel Mm -hmm. safe innately like she doesn't know what's going on but she knows that i'm the safe thing for her you know so it's like Mm -hmm. i'm sorry you're scared but this is kind of (laughs) cool no that's awesome yeah yeah. So how about how about you and Ariel? I know, like we said, it's been such a long time. I'm sure you guys have done a lot too. Yeah, yeah, we've done a fair amount. We had our 20 week uh, ultrasound and anatomy scan and everything on Wednesday for Baron, and he's looking good. He's uh, 14 ounces, which I guess is pretty normal at this point. It's crazy to think he's not even a pound yet. Um, and he'll probably Ariel... be seven pounds when he's born, give or take. And think about yeah. the times, like how much he is going to grow in that short period of time. Yeah, yeah, in twenty weeks or less, he's he's going to be growing. Yeah, like six and a half pounds, something like that, depending on how big he is. I mean, hopefully, we don't have a Stephen baby. Um, <laughs> keep telling Ariel, he's, for Ariel, right? <laughs> but she's starting to show more, which is cool. And you know, I've I've been able to feel her belly, and I, I don't know if it's like. nothing's been for sure like oh that was a kick or oh that was a that was a foot or something but you know you can just kind of feel it moving around in there and it's just it's amazing it's amazing that you know there's a human being inside of her stomach right now growing um but with that comes all the challenges of you know the emotions and the fatigue and the just inconvenience of being pregnant you know she's uh, been very upset about her lack of ability to exercise i mean she's still going to the she's at the gym right now actually um but she hasn't been able to really run because it really hurts her inner thighs. Like she just gets super sore with her inner thighs for whatever reason. And so um, she's still trying to do some weightlifting and just kind of do some things that can kind of keep her in, in shape. But she's, yeah, she's like, oh, I just want to be back to where I was. It's like, well, that won't happen for a while. <laughs> like, it's just going to get worse. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish I could help you, but I can't do yeah. anything. <laughs> um but yeah, other than that, man, we're we're doing pretty well. It's just been kind of a busy season and, um, you know, fostering and uh, everything else has been really stressful. There's been a lot of uh, heartache in that process and, uh, you know, probably more to be shared next next podcast, depending on how things go. But um, yeah, we're we're just kind of trying to keep our heads above water right now. It feels like, uh, but she's, I mean, the semester's almost over for school, so she's almost done working and then, you know, she'll get paid throughout the summer, but she doesn't have to work, which will be great. So, you know, that'll be really start. helpful for. Her. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to paint the nursery and you know, paint our bedroom and just kind of get everything ready. We've got a lot of stuff already, which is, you know, it makes me feel like we're in a good spot. Um, but I'm sure there's plenty more that we don't have or things that we're not ready for. Um, 
but it's it's just so cool knowing that we have a little baby boy that we've been praying for for a very long time coming into this world and it's a blessing for sure but yeah i get what you're saying like i've been thinking about that a lot of the cousins that baron has that he won't be able to see regularly because you know you think of like micah and caleb and daniel and luke and lydia like these cousins of ours that at least for me because they're closer to age than me like i hung out with them all the time right it was a weekly thing to see the linvilles during the ski season because steve and i would go up there and we'd snowboard with them or you know micah was over every single day of the of the summer um you know so it's just like knowing that yeah if things stay the way they are baron doesn't get that Um, right not to the same extent. I mean, I'm hoping that we can continue doing like these family gatherings. I'm really excited for, for July, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it does kind of break my heart knowing how much fun that was for us and how he's going to miss out on that. Um, but you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said like, we can provide a way better life for him here than we could in Colorado. There's just no way we could afford what we have here. There's no right. way we could, you know, make a living out there the way we are able to do here. And, and honestly, like, yeah, there's just, there's honestly a lot of things I really like about Kentucky um, that I didn't know that I didn't know I was going to. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, that's something that's something Amanda and I say frequently. It's like, man, if it wasn't for family, there'd be zero chance of us ever moving back to Colorado at this point. Like we yeah. really like Michigan compared to Colorado. Just I mean, Colorado's beautiful and I miss the mountains, but that's kind of about as far as it goes at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, like the way Colorado's trending and how busy it is and it's just not where we grew up anymore. And no, we really like really Michigan. Changed. Yeah. It's yeah. like, man, I, aside from family, there's really not much in Colorado for us anymore. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Like it just, you know, it's just been over two years for us. And it's like, it, it feels like we have always been here. <laughs> now, obviously yeah. like, can you go back or you have people come back here? You're like, okay, I really missed that. That was yep. you know, something that I didn't realize how, how much I missed that. But at the same time, like I just, you know, this is my life and I, I forget that I even was a, a Coloradan, except when tattoo. You know, well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was going to say, except when you get to watch the Colorado Avalanche in the NHL playoffs for the second time in a row. Yep, there it is. <laughs> Let's go, percent, baby. <laughs> Showing off the hoodie. I, yeah, except I now we're in the Eastern time zone and the game started at 10 p.m. And it's like, yeah, I'm in bed at 8.15 every night. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's so dumb. I hate it. I, like, I stayed up <laughs> watching the game on, I guess that would have been what, yesterday? No, Thursday? Thursday night? Yeah, Thursday night. And I watched the first two periods where we tied it up. And then I was like, I, I'm literally falling asleep as I'm holding my phone up. I, I couldn't yeah. stay awake. And so I just put it on the on the table and I was like, I guess I'll look at it in the morning. And Sure enough, it's like, oh, cool, we won. <laughs> but I do wish, like, I don't know, I've been listening to, like, the DNVR recap podcast and yep, stuff, and yep. they're like, come down to the bar, like, like, let's hang out, like, well, let's watch together. I'm like, that would be so fun, because, again, nobody cares about hockey out here. <laughs> well, and I missed, I mean, you and I did that a couple of times. How many times yeah. did you do that? At least two or three, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I met, I I was thinking about that, too, I because I follow a bunch of them on Twitter, and I interact with them a bunch, and the guy... Uh, that actually founded DNVR, like we follow each other. And he was like, it's been eight years since I started BSN, which transitioned into DNVR. Mm-hmm. And he's like, thank you all for, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, dang, I miss those watch parties. Like, yeah. <laughs> like going with Sam and Levi and sitting there mm-hmm. having a beer, watching a hockey game, at, you know, with a lot of 
invested people that are all cheering yeah, and yeah. groaning. And yeah, I mean, man, those are good times. They were indeed. I did get a glimpse of uh, doing a collective invested uh, thing uh, last week as we went to the Return of the King 20th anniversary. Uh, you were showing. so lucky. Oh, uh, it was so good. Four and a half hours, because there's the extended mm. version, of course. Four and a half hours of just absolute pure bliss. I was sitting next to a dude. Like He brought his, I assume, girlfriend, maybe. Why? I don't know. They're, they're pretty young. I mean, they looked our age, but... You know, the theater was packed. Like it was the yeah. second highest grossing movie that day, <laughs> like ever. You know, for or not it's ever, twenty like, years old. Yeah, yeah. And so the theater's packed. I'm sitting there, and and this guy next to me, we're just like laughing at everything that we've seen a million times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Gimli falling off the horse. It was deliberate. It was deliberate. Like you just like <laughs> die laughing, and you know, we're just kind of like, uh, yeah, it was just so much fun. And then I look over the be- maybe like the best part of part of this was like I don't, I don't know if his his girl had ever seen the movie before because like during the the attack with shelob you know where sam is fighting her off oh, yeah, oh yeah it's just it's intense the music's going and i look over and, and his girl's got his like her head tucked in his in his shirt like she's scared oh, and stuff and i was like man that's so cool like just seeing the the emotion that these movies build up because you know i'm kind of callous to it a little bit now i mean i know what's gonna happen i know exactly what's happening so yeah you've seen the movie 50 times at least (laughs) yeah yeah so just seeing somebody like really be affected by it was was kind of cool but uh, yeah it was it was a fun time i'm glad you got to do that i'm incredibly jealous although i did use some reward points for picking up extra shifts to get a 4k blu-ray player so now Hey. I have started <laughs> watching the the extended in 4K, and let me tell you, it is pretty darn great. Is it? Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. I did make Not Ariel theater, but it's pretty great. Sure. No, yeah, that sounds awesome. I did make Ariel like watch the first two movies with me beforehand too, so um, I got to watch all three of them within the span of a week, which was yeah. just that's just awesome. lovely, just lovely. <laughs> ah, that's great. All right, that's probably plenty of babbling, more than we maybe set out to do. But uh, let's jump into some riddles in the dark. Again, just to recap, uh, we're finding some dialogue in our three-in-one Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy book, and to see if we can figure out uh, to stump the other person on what's going on, like what the context is, who's talking, what chapter it is, uh, what book it is, stuff like that. So I forgot uh, do you that we were even doing this. I here <laughs> uh, out of shape. Out of podcasting shape. I mean, you look a little out of shape normally, but like podcasting shape is what I mean by this. Oh, I'm totally out of podcasting shape. That's about where it ends. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway. Do you want me to go first since I found one? Sure. Sure. You ready then? Uh, Yeah. Go ahead. I will. When I learn what you are fit for. But I shall learn soonest, maybe, if I keep you beside me. Hmm. That. Mm. It's kind of a vague one. It could be a yeah types of scenarios, but the scenario I'm thinking is maybe Thade and talking to Mary about like what he has to offer as he's asking to be a part of the the Rohirrim, but. The Esquire of my chamber has begged leave to go to the out garrison. So you shall take his place for a while. So is that Pippin and Denethor then instead? It is. Well done. Ah, uh, okay. Very good. So that well would be done. the yeah. 
Return of the King, would that be the what what chapter would that be? The steward? Or is it just Ministerth? No, it's Siege of Gondor. It's the first page of the Siege of Gondor. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, well yeah, that done. was yeah, thank you. That was, that was, was cool. kind of an obscure one, but Yeah. All right. Uh here we go. This should be again pretty. Everything I have opened up to seems like it's going to be pretty See, easy. But you just preface it all the time that it's going to be easy. <laughs> it will. It will. And then you complain that I get them. <laughs> okay. Foolish, silly. He hissed. Make haste. They mustn't think danger has passed. It hasn't. Make haste. Okay. Well, I know that's that's Smeagol. He hissed. Yeah, that's obviously yeah. Smeagol. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like this is when they're in the the uh, dead marshes and the Nazgul flies overhead. That is a really good guess, but no. Uh, no? Okay. Read Same it book, one more though. time. Read it one more time. Or I can do it in the Gollum voice if you wish. I mean that. I mean, yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> That'll help for sure. Foolish. Silly. Make haste. They mustn't think danger has passed. It hasn't. Make haste. That was really bad. Three out of ten would not recommend. Um, Ouch. Ouch. Let's see. I can continue with one more, one more sentence, and I'm pretty sure you'll get it. All right. Careful, he hissed. Steps. Lots of steps. Must be careful. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is after the army of Minas Morgul is marching out, and they're on the stairs of Carathungal. Yeah, okay. That is the name of the chapter. Stairs uh-huh. of Carathungal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. That was a good one, actually. I mean, it's easy to guess who, because Gollum's yeah. Smeagol Gollum is obviously very distinct, but... Right. Yeah, he was the main talker in that like page that I saw, and I was like, well, I don't... Eh, I'll just do it, but... Pick one that's maybe harder to to get, <laughs> but good job, yeah. as always. All right, moving on to tidings from the fellowship. No tidings, still no new reviews, uh, no new emails or anything. It has been over a month since we podcast, so maybe uh, yeah, uh, maybe our fellowship think that we've deserted them as well. So <laughs> we left them on on Kurathras and turned around. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, we uh, we took the helicopter out of there, left Sean yeah. Bean there to climb <laughs> his way down. Climb his way down. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but we'd love to hear from you. Um, if there's anything you guys want to talk about at Children Hurin or uh, upcoming Lord of the Rings movies that um, Warner Brothers are doing, anything like that, we'd love to hear. I will say that we are closing in on... 1600 downloads for our podcast which may not seem like hey. much, but if you think about it that's pretty darn good yeah and i'll take that 16 people downloaded it randomly on two days ago whatever that was on thursday so wow. okay people well, are listening to some extent it's maybe mom and all her alt accounts but hey we'll take it <laughs> Well, welcome. If you're just joining our our fellowship, uh, welcome. We hope you're enjoying the salted pork and uh, the long bottom leaf. But anyway, on to the meat and potatoes of today's podcast. Again, we are in Children of Hurin, and uh, the last episode we followed is, as Turin. He was fighting at the gates of Nargothrond with the with the army that uh, ended up falling very, very brutally. They they really just got routed. It was not very close at all. Um, but uh, he divided the 
the advice of Olmo, the Lord of Waters, the Vala, um, who said, hey, cast, break down the bridge and cast your, your pride away. And he didn't do that. He kept the bridge going, which allowed the dragon and the entire army to go in and completely uh, demolish uh, Nargothrond and take away the slaves. Um, Fenduilas being one of them, the girl that uh, was in the love triangle with uh, Gwyndor and Turin. Turin didn't really like her, but she liked him, but was betrothed to Gwyndor the Gimp. Um, so a lot, lot went down. But then we finished the chapter with... Turin in this epic conversation with uh, Glaurong, the father of dragons, and uh, Glaurong pretty much just telling him, hey, you need to go back to Dor Loman because your mom and your sister are being like tortured and killed. Like They're going to die here pretty soon if you don't run back to them. Um, or are you going to follow Fenduilas and try to save her? You know, But whatever you do, like pretty much shadow and, and doom is wherever you will go. And uh, that's just kind of been the truth we've seen <clears throat> throughout this entire entire book. But as we pick up the, the chapter, Turin has been running back to Dor Loman uh, 40 leagues without stopping. I'm glad Seth did the math on this because I, I don't know what a league is. I still have never understood how I a, Google a it every is. time. I, I just do a Google conversion, and which is probably why I never remember. But I still don't <laughs> even know. I, but I mean, if you look at it, it's give or take three, right? 13, three miles per league. Four. Yeah. Give or take is a little over three. Yeah. I, I don't understand what a like who decides a league and an acre. Those are the two things that I have no idea how to <laughs> like make into an actual footage or, or mileage or anything. It's like, oh, yeah, they live on 60 acres. It's like, wow, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but apparently 40 leagues without stopping is 138 miles from the gates of Nargothron to the pools of Irvin. Uh, Ivron, sorry. Um, this is something that uh, uh, David Goggins, if you know who he is, he would be very proud. A guy who is uh, known for just running without stopping. He's done multiple uh, ultra marathons and 100 mile runs where he just ran for 100 miles without stopping. And I've been trying to do a little bit more running recently. Um, I've been kind of switching up my training a little bit and I can do about four miles without stopping um, at a decent pace, you know, like a nine minute pace. But uh, I'm pretty pretty winded after that. So to run 138 miles as fast as he was running too uh, is pretty dang impressive for Turin there. But like I mentioned, he got to the pools of Ivrain, and these are the same pools in which he was uh, healed after slaying his best friend Beleg when he was accompanied by Gwyndor. So after that whole huge tragedy, uh, they got to the pool and he you know, drank from the pool and was like, oh, wow, I'm healed. Great. Cool. What happened? And Gwyndor told him everything. Um, but because winter was coming, the, there was some ice on, on the pool and it just it, there was not the same healing that he'd gotten from, from the past. And so uh, Tolkien goes on to say it has been 23 years since Turin had taken the path. And uh, this is a quote, graven in his heart. So great was the sorrow of each step at the parting of Morwen. Um, that, that again is just reminding him of what he's been missing for the last 23 years. Cause he remembers running away from, from Dor Loman the other way and knowing like, I'm leaving my mom, my family, this is horrible. And now he's kind of forgotten about that for so long until now. And of course the dragon has lied to him saying like, she's suffering um, greatly right now. And so, you know, he, he goes back to Dor Loman and uh, upon arriving home, it's very different than he remembers. Obviously, you know, it was bleak and it was bare and sparse because of the Easterlings that had come in and just kind of plundered and taken over. And so, you know, Turin came to his childhood home and it was it was found dark and empty. And the home, the estate that was the house of 
uh, Hador is just empty. Morwen is gone. Neonor is gone. It's empty. Yeah. Um, so before I continue with that story, a couple little things that I just discovered. I re-googled that, and it's saying that 40 leagues is straight up 120 miles, so it's a 3 to 1 ratio. Um, hmm, okay. I don't know where I got 138 from. Maybe <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, but to tie that in, apparently Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn in the two towers ran 135 miles. So they all ran uh, even further than Turin did in this, um, if we're going by the 120. So I thought that was interesting um, because those are kind of the two main feats of like ultra marathoning. Right, right. Not to Um, make this a big, big aside, but I mean... What do you think about the changes Peter Jackson made where Gimli was the one that was super tired in the movies, but in the books, he was the one that had all the endurance and stamina. I think that he did that because Gimli in the movies is kind of the comic relief. And so those lines fit his character from a movie standpoint, even though in the lore and in the books, you know, dwarves are steadfast and they can endure much toil and keep going. Um, yeah. I think it worked for the movie, but not, you know, it's a little change that it's one that I will accept, you know? I think it would have been equally as funny or even more funny if Gimli's the one in front saying, come on, Aragorn, come on, like, let's, let's go, keep up with me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those small things that, you know, you, it makes sense. Like, a dwarf with short legs and sure. a big old tummy should not be able to run 135 <laughs> miles easily. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, back to our story, Children of Horan. <laughs> <Sorry, sorry, laughs> no, 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 not your fault. I was the one that took us off, off course there initially. Um, so yeah, at this point, Turin arrives to his home, and he, like Sam mentioned, his his home is no longer his home. His mother's gone. His sister that he's never met is gone. Everything's just different. Um, and so he's going around. And asking all these other vagabonds, like, hey, do you have shelter? It's winter. They're in the mountains uh, or just outside of the mountains, kind of in the foothill area. He's cold. He's tired from running this far. He's, you know, just asking, hey, do you have shelter? Do you have news? Like, what's going on here? What is it like? And so he's kind of near, like, Tolkien doesn't go into great detail, but he finds shelter with a bunch of vagabonds. And he's asking all these questions. And an old man with one crutch... Mm. Uh, actually says to him, he says, if you must speak in the old tongue, master, speak it softer and ask for no tidings. Would you be beaten for a rogue or hung for a spy? And the old man basically asks Turin, like, all right, what kind of news do you want? Um, But be careful in how you're asking it. Like, we don't know who's listening. And and Turin's like, well, what about Morwen and Neonor? Like, what's going on where is the lady morwen and the old man speaks of the hardships that morwen and her daughter faced and how uh they would have died if not for the help of the lady iron um i can never say it irene iron i don't know um i don't think it's irene yeah it's probably just iron aaron aaron is what i was thinking a-e-r-i-n aaron 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 yeah, there you go. Um, Aaron. So the lady Aaron was the cousin of Morwen who has was sending stuff. I think we talked about that a little bit in a previous podcast, how she was secretly mm-hmm. sending stuff to Morwen, supplies and everything. Um, 
And so Turin basically goes, okay, well, Morwen and Neonor, are they dead? Are they made thralls? Have orcs assailed them? Like, what's going on? And the old man says, honestly, we don't know. They're just, they're just gone. We don't know what happened. Um, but they're not here anymore. And then he kind of, I imagine, like, he kind of just sits back and looks off to up into the side, you know, and starts reminiscing a little bit. He says to Turin, mm-hmm. he says, I served her many a year and the great master before. Sador one foot, a cursed axe in the woods long ago, or I would be laying in the great mound now, which is in reference to the, the near Nyeth Arnoidiad and the, yeah. the hill of, I forget what they called it, hill of tears or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, well, I remember the day that Hurin's boy was sent away and how he wept and she, when he was gone to the hidden kingdom, it was said. And at this statement, uh, Sador, I imagine just starts like, looking around like he kind of let himself reminisce and feel these emotions and said this when he knows he probably shouldn't have because of the mm-hmm. people around him and and he he just kind of gets a bit bashful and worried of who's listening that he might have loosened his tongue a little too much but he doesn't realize until this moment that he's talking to Turin um yeah and so Turin looks at him and he says but if you fear that I am a spy of the north or the east then you have learned little more wisdom than you had long ago Sador Labadal, which is yeah, the, the name. Yep, Hopafoot. He it's the name that Turin gave him when he was like eight years old. Um, yeah, and so this is I love how Turin does that. It's just a very clever. It's not like hey, I'm Turin. I'm the person you're talking about. He just kind of sneaks it in there, like yeah, you didn't gain much wisdom, uh, did you, there, Labadal? <laughs> um, but he also sorry, uses that. a name that only Sador would know. Like Turin's the only one that talked like called him that so he like that would have been a good way of not exposing himself right forthright but also just making sure that sadar knows who he's talking to oh that's actually a really good point that's yeah i i didn't even think of it from that angle but yeah it's a way for him to conceal who he is like you said oh, i like that um so it has i mean it's a great way of doing it in multiple ways that just shows the genius of tolkien honestly mm-hmm. um so then after a while, they were discussing, and Turin again is like, all right, so now that you know who I am, what the heck is up with my mom? Where's my sister? And, and Labadal says, they went away secretly. It was whispered among us that they were summoned by the Lord Turin, for we did not doubt that he had grown great in the years, a great king or lord in some south country, but it seems this is not so. And... This statement must have really just kind of hit Turin with a two by four in the back of the head. I mean, he's like, yeah. well, I was a lord or a king, if you will, um, of like three different countries in the Southlands. <laughs> he was in Doriath, yeah. where he was a lord and highly esteemed. He was basically a king of Amonrud with the outlaws. And then he was a, a lord and basically a king. He did whatever he wanted in, in Nargothrond as well. Yeah. And now he's a vagabond. And so for for Labadal to say, but it seems this is not so, it's like I'm sure Turin's just replaying his entire, you know, adult life pretty much since he what was seventeen ish and left um, yeah. and left the comfort of Doriath. Um and he's probably also re- starting to remember the words um of Glaurung that he had been lied to. Um if you remember, Glaurung said, "If you, if you 
don't hasten to Dorloman for your mother and Neonor. You'll never see them again. And if you stop to try to rescue and go back and get Finduilas, because he saw, you know, her going by. Yeah. Um, and went, like, right in front of his face. He's like, and Glaron tells him, if you try to go rescue her, you're never going to see your family again. Are you really going to mm-hmm. give up and betray your family? And I, I'm sure at this point, Turin's like, oh, crap. Yeah, but as we see time and time again, like, Turin's pride uh, just is the first thing that shows up and he faces everything with anger and self-confidence. You know, we talk a lot about like how men have, we have the same emotions women do, but it's all encompassed in anger. (laughs) Like whether we feel sadness or scared or, uh, you know, whatever that is, it's, it's encompassed in anger. Oftentimes I'll get really, really angry over something that maybe is actually frightening to me, or I might get really, really angry about something that makes me really, really sad. And so we see, you know, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, our emotions present in anger is, is mm-hmm. kind of how I think of it. Like, no matter what it is, my initial reaction is to be angry at X, Y, or Z. And you have to yep. strip the anger away to understand the actual emotion. Yeah. And so, because of this, he he asks Labadol Hoppafoot uh, where he can find this this lady, Aaron, um, because he wants to ask her some questions and by doing this he's also putting her in danger he doesn't really probably realize this because of his pride and his anger but he's you know would be putting her in danger to be able to talk about this kind of stuff and so uh sadar kind of they, they have a conversation and, and turin learns that she's in uh, broda's hall and that it might be dangerous to approach her uh, but in anger turin cries may i not walk up broda's hall and will they beat me come and see he's like all right i'm gonna go up there and like who can who can withstand me? Like, let's see. They go to the hall of Broda, and upon arriving to the hall, Turin begins shouting insults. He's just like busts open the doors, like you know. I kind of think like old Western saloon. You know, he busts open the doors <laughs> and starts, you know, twirling his 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 pistols. All right, who's who, who's worthy enough to to fight me? Who's in charge yeah. here? And uh, and so Turin's like, all right, who who's in charge here? Who can I talk to? Speak can now. I speak to the you manager. Know? <laughs> can I, yeah, can I speak to the manager? And, and so he, Turin says, he, he founds out, Broda's like, uh, it's me, who are you? What are you doing in my hall? And, and, and Turin responds, uh, then you have yet learned the courtesy that was in the land before you. Is it not now the manner of the men to let lackeys mishandle the kingsmen of their wives? Such am I, and I have an errand to the lady Aaron. Shall I come freely or shall I come as I will? So again, I he's saying, that phrase. <laughs> yeah, he's saying like, I'm going to come either way. Are you going to let me come freely or am I going to come by just beating you all up? <laughs> <laughs> again, his his pride and his arrogance is shining forth. And I mean, again, he probably has the the skill to just walk through all these guys if he wanted to. But um, he, again, as we'll see, he's not caring about any of the other uh, people of Dor Loman um, and, and the worry of what's going on there. So. So Eren uh, comes in and they start talking. Turin's questioning her and asking her all these questions about Morwen and what's going on. And Broda kind of interrupts Turin. He's like, because they're married right now, Broda and Eren. Uh, and he's like, you can't talk to my wife like this. Like, I'm the, I'm the master of this hall. What are, you, you know, what are you doing here questioning my wife and talking to her like this? And, and then Turin was like, I've had enough. And he leaps forward. He draws a sword and he, held, he holds it at Broda's neck. And he commanded the Lady Aaron as the Lord of Dorloman. So he's taking that title upon himself. Again, another uh, a lordship over another land takes that title upon himself. He says, I command you to tell me everything, including 
Broda's involvement. And so she told Broda uh, that he was the one that plundered the house of Morwen and uh, just kind of took all the, the riches and, and anything that was left over after Morwen and Neonor had left. And uh, she told him that Morwen and Neonor had left three years, uh, a year and three months ago. But again, thinking back to what the dragon Glaurung had told Turin, he's maybe hopefully realizing now. I mean, he was just completely lying. Like they've been gone for a long time. <laughs> they haven't been yeah. suffering. They haven't been in this. Uh, they, are, they haven't been slaves or thralls. They've been gone for a long time. And so Aaron also mentions that, uh, you know, Morwen left in hopes to find her son waiting for her in the hidden kingdom. Um, but she also mentioned if Turin really was Morwen's son, then things surely have gone awry. Cause she's saying like, we've heard of this black sword that's maybe bringing peace to the land, but then that seems to have been gone away. And you know, if Turin really is, if this, if he's claiming to be the son of Morwen and he's here looking for her, it is not going well. Yeah. Basically all their plans have just fallen apart and Turin at this point, just kind of, I imagine it's like, you know those laughs that you have where it's like, how in the world did this happen? It's like it's not funny, but you have to laugh because if you don't laugh, you're gonna kill Brada, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I have Turin, these laughs with Ariel sometimes when we're like fighting. Like just just like, are you kidding me? Like it's just it's just so why are you laughing? I'm like, I'm not I'm not it's not funny. It's, yeah. It's yeah. just ridiculous. It's 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 insane. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I, that's kind of the laugh that I imagine from Turin, because Tolkien says Turin laughed at this, or laughed bitterly at this, um, and then he agreed, yes, things are ever awry, as crooked as Morgoth. So again, Turin, he he feels the weight of this curse that, that Morgoth has placed upon Hurin's children. He doesn't know about it, but he's heard rumor of it, and mm -hmm. everything he does, like literally every decision he makes, he kills his best friend... He gets Nargothron destroyed. He goes and, you know, leaves Fenduilas to try to rescue his family. His family like, every decision he makes is just terrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> and at this point, after, you know, hearing from the Lady Iron about Brada's involvement in torture, not torturing Morwen, but, you know, cutting off her supplies and harassing her and all this stuff... Um, Turin just gets this this rage, and I assume it's a rage combined with his own self-hatred for the decisions that he made and all this stuff. Um, I think he finally it clicks that he, you know, that the dragon was lying. This whole trip has just fallen in shambles. Um, he didn't listen to his friend Gwyndor's warning, which was if you tarry to try to do anything else, you'll Fenduilas won't make it. You alone stand between her and her doom. Go save her. Yep. And um, at this point, it's like, I can imagine it's all those different things that are um, swirling around in, in Turin's mind. And so being the wrathful person he is, he said that he had cheated death and Nargothrond um, and wasn't going to die in this dishonored place. He's like, all right, I know I'm surrounded by these Easterlings. I got out of Nargothron somehow. I shouldn't have. There's no chance I'm dying here. Um, and at this point, he he's got Brada and he's got him by the you know by the I can imagine by like the coat you know the, yeah, the yeah. what do you call those the there's a like special the, term for it but button or the collar or whatever yeah the collar but there's some there's a better term for it that I can't think of but he's got him by the collar and he's like shaking him and he's 
you know, yelling about his mom and and his sister and all the things that Brada did. And he just takes him and he just launches the guy across <laughs> the table. And Brada, I imagine, you know, like an old, like a really poorly shot old like Western where kind of like you were saying in the bar fight where the guy gets slid <laughs> yeah. across the table and bumps into the alcohol, except Turin throws him head first into another Easterling and it breaks Brada's neck. It's like, bro, <laughs> you just picked up the leader of the Easterlings, chucked him so hard that he went head first and killed somebody. Yeah. Or killed him, you know. Killed him, yeah, yeah, yeah broke his neck. It's crazy. In my, like, you know the saying, like, oh, I trust you as far as I can throw you. Like, right. as Turin, he probably never said that because he can just launch people. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty far trust. That's pretty. That's a lot of trust. <laughs> um, how, how far so, do you think Turin could have thrown Gimli? Oh, geez. He, <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't have told Legolas about it, but he would have launched right. him right over, <laughs> right over the bridge on accident. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would have overshot it. <laughs> Never toss a dwarf. Um, yeah, and so at this point, all hell breaks loose. Turin slays three more Easterlings. The people in the hall are... You know, they've been tame servants uh, for a long time, but now they were rose up with shouts of rebellion. They're picking up steak knives and they're helping tour and take out all the Easterlings in Broadus Hall, uh, even though they were, you know, steak knives up against daggers and swords. And but, you know, it was the old people that finally felt a need to jump up and and fight. I'm sure they didn't care if they died either. They're like, this is a good, you know, way for me to go out. So yeah, between. Uh, between Turin and, and the rest of the people of Dor Loman, they basically destroy everybody in Brada's Hall, and um, they defeat all the Easterlings, and then Tolkien says that, speaking of Turin, uh, he rested leaning on a pillar, and the fire of his rage was now ashes. Mm. And that imagery, I don't. the parallels aren't great, but just that phrase and that imagery from that phrase reminds me of Samson. In the Bible, yeah. um, you know, when Samson dies after he kills everybody and then he leans up against the pillars and he's like, all right, God, like, give me the strength to do this one last thing. And he you know, pulls everything down and kills himself. Yeah. Um, so yeah. parallels aren't perfect, but that's just kind of what I picture in my head. Well, and I like the imagery, too, because you look at a fire and it's raging and it's it's uh, glowing and it can do much harm, obviously. And then. You know, as as if you sit next to a fire long enough, it'll it'll slowly die down, and then the ashes just <clears throat> there's just a little red glow. You know, they can't really do anything. You know, it, it's just completely simmered the down, fire, and the fire is still there, but it's not dangerous at that very moment. Basically, yeah, yeah, it's contained, and it's uh, right. like like for Turin now, he's like, you know, it's it's been unpredictable at this point. He's just been slashing and killing and throwing people across tables, and now it's like. Whew. Okay, I'm still angry, but what did the what the heck did I just do? Right. Um, so after this, as Turin's resting, uh, leaning up against his pillar, Sador crept up to him, and he Tolkien says that he was wounded to the death. Um, so there's no way Labadal is getting out of this alive. Plus, he's a cripple, and he's just not in good shape. Um, and he tells Turin that he had waited a long time for this day to come, but that he needed to actually run and not come back unless he comes back with a greater strength of force because some of the Easterlings got away and they're going to, you know, they're going to raise the alarm and all the Easterlings are going to come um, and just 
swarm them and overwhelm them. And he, so he's basically saying like, hey, thanks for that. I needed that. That's a good way for me to go out. Um, I'm dying now, but you need to run. And yeah. then he basically just told Turin farewell and breathed his last. And, and unfortunately, that's when Sador dies, who I know we can just jump forward and keep going with the story, but Sador really was one of my favorite characters in this whole book. Mm -hmm. um, he had a wisdom, he had compassion, he had caring for Turin as a child. And um, you kind of feel for his story that we talked about in earlier podcasts. Like Sador really... Yeah, I, I like the character. He was a very well-written character. He didn't play a huge role, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I felt like he was he's just a very prominent role in Turin's life, and through that, I really appreciated him. Yeah, absolutely, and it's really cool. I'm glad that Tolkien kind of goes full circle to where he gets to have this last interaction with you know the guy that was pretty much like kind of a father figure for him in a lot of ways, and. Right. But again, you, you see that Turin's pride and Turin's arrogance leads to the death of another one of the people in yep. his life that he dearly loved. That's a good point. That's a good point. Again, this is just a tragedy. Like everywhere he goes, every like next place he goes, somebody he loves dies because of something he did. <clears throat> but obviously Sador didn't blame him necessarily. Uh, he was actually thankful that he could go out this way. Like he was died fighting something he didn't get to do in the near Nyeth Cause he would you know, yep. cut his foot on an ax. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think he feels maybe a little bit redeemed as well. And so, mm -hmm. you know, Sador dies and, you know, I imagine Turin's sad and trying to process through this, but then Aaron spoke to Turin as well. And, she kind of repeated what Sador said. She's like, you know, his, his dying breath was true. They're going to come back with more people. And we've been on the receiving end of what this looks like at times, you know, the brutality of these Easterlings. And so, yeah, you need to go and comfort more when she kind of tells him like, that's the only thing that's going to make me feel okay about this whole thing is if you actually find your mom, comfort her and, and be there for her um, because the violence that you've committed is going to lead to my death. And she yeah. says, you know, rasher your deeds, son of Hurin, as if you were still but the child that I knew. You know, she's again saying, like, dude, you are, you have no self control. You have a lot of yeah. self confidence, but you have no <laughs> self control. What are you doing? And, uh, yeah. So now Turin is like, okay, I've seen what I've done, but I can still save you. Like, come with me. He, he says, and, and faint heart is yours, Aaron, Endor's daughter, as it was when I called you aunt. And a rough dog frightened you. Talking about Broda. Like just, he's just a dog, you know? You were made for a kinder world. Come away. I will bring you to Morwen. Saying, hey, come on. Come with me. I, I'll take you to safety. It's okay. Um, but at this point, Aaron, Aaron tells him that you know, she's going to die just as quickly in the wilderness. Because it's wintertime. Like trying to find where Morwen is. As if she would at the hands of the Easterlings. Um, if she were to stay. So she's saying, I'm dead either way. And it's kind of your fault. But <laughs> also leave again so that you yeah. don't die. So Turin bowed low and, and left. And so he, he actually had some rebels came, uh, come with him who had survived the fight in Broda's hall and the valiant men who, you know, wanted to come with Turin. <clears throat> and they were thankful for the snow that, that uh, was falling on the ground, covering their tracks because they could leave without being, without being hunted. So Turin left and, he, as he kind of turned around to look back one last time at the hall, 
he saw that it was in flames and he, he said they'd fired the hall to what purpose? He's like, why did, why are they, you know, putting fire to this shelter that they have in the midst of winter? It's, you know, you should stay inside where it's warm. Uh, but then one of the men uh, who was with Turin, Asgon, uh, he said, he, it's not they, they didn't set fire to it. It was probably just her, Aaron. And he went on to tell Turin that Aaron was, was incredibly patient. She cared for us. She, gave us so much at a lot of cost to her because she was, again, Broda's a wife who was just being mistreated and just probably taken advantage of multiple times and and her patience was gone. Like, this is Broda's hall. I'm going to burn it to the effing ground. <laughs> She's like, I cannot stand this place anymore. The pain and the sadness. Well, like, she's I choosing to, to go out on her own terms, too. I imagine she's in the yeah. hall. Like, I don't right. I highly doubt that she's leaving the hall i think this is her choosing to go out on her own terms as well yeah and so it's it's just kind of like a crazy last look at that you know door loman turns childhood home and so he yeah. walks away and he takes the men uh, deep into the deep into the wilderness on strange paths as tolkien says until they reached a cave that had shelter and there was food there food there that they were able to take and nourish them but then uh, they departed and again asgon wished him farewell and said, Hey, don't come back unless uh, you have <laughs> strength enough to deliver us. And he said, don't, don't forget about us. Cause we're going to be hunted men now because of what you did. Yeah. And again, there's, there's that idea. That was the third time that somebody had said, leave and come back with greater force, you know, just, just get out of here, save yourself, come back with greater force. But again, all of them acknowledge you know, this may be better than being slaves and thralls, but at the same time, you've brought all this upon us and we didn't ask for it. Right. Yeah. At this point, the men that are, that went with him, that took up arms with him, like they're, they're now outlaws in their own land. And so yeah. this cave is a cave that people had used for hunting and stuff. Um, so there was some supplies there and they're like, all right, well, I guess this is our new home. We're going to be hunted and see if we can survive the winter in this cave. And Turin is, He's out again. He he shows up and now he's he's gone again. Yep. Off on his own to do his own thing. But man, it really is just every turn that he has something goes awry. And that's again, if you look at this through the context of the very beginning of the book, this is Morgoth's curse working through Turin. Um and you'll see that it his, Morgoth's curse already struck his his sister Lilith. Um well, I guess she died before the curse, technically. Um, to but it was Morgoth. Breath. Yeah. But it was Morgoth who did it. Um, mm -hmm. And then Neonor, as you'll see in the coming chapters, she is just as unfortunate, if not more. Um, <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I can say Careful. more. But yeah, Careful. Uh, no spoilers. <laughs> yeah, she's very unfortunate as well. So you just see this curse that, that Morgoth has placed on these children, just working through. And no matter what Turin tries to do, he's always making the wrong decision. And you've got to think that um, with that cu curse, Hurin is sitting there chained to this chair, just watching it all take place. He, he knows oh, what's happening. He's watching all of this happen. And I, I can imagine as a father, he's up there like, no, don't, don't. Uh, oh, okay. Well, hopefully yeah. that'll teach you that lesson. No, it didn't teach you that lesson. Oh, no, don't. And just every time, you know, like it, yeah. this has to be absolute torture for Hur mm -hmm. for Hurin where he's chained up. Absolutely. And 
I mean, you look at Turin and how many times he has to be a hero, to be a guy like Aragorn or, or Faramir, you know, be a valiant man to you know, bring peace to the land. And yet he's not. He brings more violence and more discord and more destruction. <clears throat> he's, he's got the capabilities of fighting whoever he wants to fight, but he doesn't think about how that comes across on the people who are less than him, you know, weaker than him. And I think that's, I don't know, maybe it's a, it's a good caution for us all, you know, especially maybe us guys who are maybe on that more on like that confident side of things of just, sure. you know, in our, in our abilities, not just physically, but like, you know, whatever it is at work or at the family, you know, that whatever we do for our own personal gain, you have to, you have to look how that's going to come across sideways on the people you love. Now, thankfully I've not done anything to kill my best friend or <laughs> um, make a, make my cousin kill herself in a big fire or anything like that. But yeah, there's definitely times where I've chosen my own selfish ambition and and looked back and oh crap, there's a wake behind me of right just you know people hurting and in pain because of what I chose to do instead of looking at the bigger picture. Yep, it's a, it's a this story really it, it is a good lesson to us all and kind of shifting gears just a little bit not to get into the philosophical debate of free will versus predestination, <laughs> but. Do you think Turin could have made a different choice in all these circumstances so far? Well, I think there was an interesting part where I forget which chapter it was. It was a few chapters ago where, where Morgoth was fearing that maybe his curse wasn't strong enough. Like maybe oh, Turin had broken the curse of Morgoth. Now, obviously that wasn't the case, but I think there is, I have to believe from my own, you know, personal personal needs that <clears throat> Turin can break this curse on his own. Like he has that ability. Sure. Um, Cause again, I'm going to, I'm going to parallel this with my life as, as much as I can. And, <clears throat> you know, look at this is again, we're going very philosophical and, and <laughs> faith based. And so I apologize, but uh, you know, you look at the world and the Bible says like the earth is Satan's in the same way that Morgoth kind of was in control of everything and yeah. had the ability to curse people. Like the earth is Satan's and he, wants nothing more than to kill, steal, and destroy from our lives. Um, but like you mentioned, that free will piece, the, the ability to, to be able to see that and then change your direction and be like, no, I'm going to fight the battle for Jesus. Like, I'm going to fight Jesus' battle. I'm going to take his strength and his power in a, humil in, a, in a humble stance where Satan's telling me that I can do it all by myself. Like, you can do this. Go ahead. Push through. Keep, keep your head down and, and power through not looking behind you at what's, you know, the wake of pain and suffering behind you. And so I don't know, I, I, I have to believe personally that Turin could say, could break this curse, you know, could say no to, to Morgoth's um, predestination, if you will, for him. Sure. But again, yeah, I like the way you say that. I, I've thought about it a few times because like I said, I'm not going to get into the philosophical debate about this. I believe, you know, in free will, but I have a hard time seeing how it actually plays out for a couple of reasons. Um, but yeah. I'm, as I'm reading the story, I'm like, it's very kind of parallel to some of the like process, thought processes I've had. It's like, I, I want to believe Turin has free will. I do. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, no matter what he does, even when he's doing his best to make the right choice, it's the wrong choice. So it's yeah. like, does he really have free will? I don't know. Um, yeah, I think you're, I think you're, you're right though. in that, um, the, that Arda or, um, middle, this part of middle earth, at least, um, Valerian and all that is, is Mel Melkor's or Morgoth's it's, it's Satan's domain. And 
Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, you still still believe that Turin is able to fight back against that. You know, like it's not yeah. just a losing battle no matter what. Even though that's kind of what this story is to some extent. And it's a again, I like that it. I mean, we're not going to spoil the ending, but it doesn't tie a bow on things. It's not like, oh, finally, you know, this is good. Everything's great. You know, it shows if you continue down that path. You, if you're not able to break the curse or choose the right thing, it's just going to end in sadness. Right. Yeah, if you did, if you deny, and again, I'm being very, very Christian. I apologize for anyone who's like, oh, I don't, I don't care about this. But like, if you deny christ's will for your life which is not for you to do every certain thing his way but it's his his will for your your life is to follow him and take a humble stance as a servant like he was and wash people's feet and care about other people and lead your family well be a good husband be a good father and when you choose to be selfish and do things on your own way it's just going to be bad it's going to be a tragedy yeah, but I think I think that's a good spot to wrap it up. Where if not, we're gonna yeah. keep going forever on this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I, I agree completely. So uh, you know what's happening next. Gondor's calling for aid. We're breaking in the halls of Metacell, and we're shouting, Gondor calls for aid. Will you, Rohan, answer? So if you enjoyed the podcast, please light a beacon of your own by liking, subscribing, and sharing with fellow friends and fans. Don't forget to send us your Tolkien story uh, to weckpodcast at gmail.com or any thoughts you have on Children of Hurin, the upcoming uh, Lord of the Rings shows, uh, or anything you want to say. Just say hi to us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. We want to make this a fellowship as much as possible. So please reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to interact with you all. Next time, we'll join us as Turin comes into Brethel in Chapter 13. But until then, thank you for joining us for some well-earned comforts. We bid you a very fond 